Avast, matey, and welcome back to the ship. We be setting sails on the seven seas for a tale of plunder and piracy. So come aboard, ye scurvy dog, and let's set sail as we talk about the Pirates of the Caribbean. Alright, so Pirates did not talk like that, but we'll get more into that. But I'm back for a new episode, a new series, not a series, two episodes, True Story of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Very excited about this. Can't wait to jump into it. My name is Brett Bilesma. I am the host of the Curiosity Chronicles, and this is what I've been curious about lately. So about that intro, that was my not-so-great impression of what we think of as, like, pirate speak, the pirate accent that has become famous through movies and television, and unfortunately, it's completely fiction. Pirates did not talk like that. Pirates did not talk any different than sailors of whatever time period they were a part of. But in 1950, there was a movie adaption of, the, of Treasure Island. And an actor named Robert Newton played Long John Silver. And for some reason, he decided that his pirate character was going to talk like that. Like what we understand now as pirate talk. And people loved it. It caught on. The same actor, Newton, played Long John Silver as well as other pirates in different movies. And he kept doing it. And other people started picking up on it. And suddenly, it became what people think of as the way pirates talk. Totally fictionalized, just out of the mind of an actor, and somehow became part of our culture. Kind of cool. It's fun to do. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's fun to talk like a pirate, but uh, is not actually historically accurate, and so I'm not going to be doing the episode with that accent. You're welcome. That would be horrible. So let's get into this. Talk about some piracy and pirates. First off, very basic. What is piracy? And piracy is defined as robbery on the high seas, which is a really cool definition. <laughs> but it's not just robbery. It can include things like kidnapping and murder. Some pirates even raided coastal communities. So they came from the ship to the shore and raided and plundered and stole and killed and murdered and raped on the shore. And that would also fall under the umbrella of piracy. Basically, if it involved water, a ship, and crime... It probably falls under the umbrella of piracy. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next two episodes. It's going to be really fun. So the first little bit of this episode, I want to talk about the difference between privateers, buccaneers, and pirates. Because they're slightly different. Some of them, they're vastly different in some cases. But especially privateer and pirate are used interchangeably at times. Or certain people that were privateers are considered pirates in today's culture. And that's not necessarily accurate, so I wanted to kind of lay out what the differences are. And I want to start with privateers. So privateers, from the outside looking in, they basically look like they're doing exactly the same thing that pirates do. They are plundering ships, they are capturing enemy sailors, and basically robbing on the high seas. The difference is privateers worked under the full authority of their government. They were private vessels. Privateers were on private vessels 
but they were operated during times of war, and they had the government's permission to steal and capture enemy shipping. And they had this permission through what's called the Letter of Mark. Mark, M-A-R-Q-U-E, I think is how you say it, Mark. And that was a legal document that was signed by a government, and it gave permission to the privateers to capture vessels, but only vessels that were part of the enemy that they were at war with. And cargo that was captured was auctioned off, and proceeds were generally split between the government, the privateer, and investors who invested in the privateering mission and helped buy the ship and the crew and the supplies and things like that. And privateering was an important tool for government during a time of war because it gave them significant power in the sea that their navy alone could not provide. And it also disrupted shipping uh, that was crucial to the economy, and it took out naval forces. And so privateers could significantly weaken an enemy, both economically and militarily, and thus help the government they're working for win the war. And one of the biggest differences is privateers were not considered criminals except for by the country that they were at war with. So, for example, if England and Spain were at war, and Spain had the privateers that were attacking English shipping, Spain would not consider them criminals. They would be considered partners in the war. Pirates, on the other hand, universally condemned as criminals. doesn't matter which country it came from. If you were a pirate and you didn't have this legal permission to do what privateers were doing, you were going to get condemned and hung by whatever government caught you. The funny thing about privateers is many of them became addicted. I don't know if you'd call it that, but the the lure of the riches and the freedom life at sea often would mean that when a war ended and their letter of mark ran out, privateers would not turn themselves in or go back to a normal life. They would just keep doing what they're doing. The difference now is that they were legally considered pirates. So many privateers turned to piracy after the war ended. But on the flip side, some of those privateers that became pirates, or pirates that never were a privateer, could use some of the money that they plundered, and they would bribe government officials to give them a letter of mark, even though they didn't necessarily deserve it. So there were loopholes, but privateers basically legally government-licensed piracy. And that's how they're different from a regular pirate. Now, buccaneers were pirates, but they were pirates of a more specific location and a more specific time period than, than just the general term pirate. And a buccaneer was specifically a pirate in the Caribbean. And I know in my head, thanks to Johnny Depp, and I'm sure in a lot of other people's heads, piracy was in the Caribbean. But that's not the case. It was everywhere. The Indian Ocean was a huge lure for pirates. It happened on the Atlantic Ocean, all up and along the eastern seaboard of the United States, or at the time, the colonies. But buccaneers operated specifically in the Caribbean and the islands around there. And in the 1500s and the early 1600s, most pirates had their home base somewhere on mainland Europe. And then they would sail from Europe out into whatever ocean they decided to target and engage in their piracy. But in 1630 or thereabouts, French, but also Dutch, English, and Portuguese refugees settled on the island of Hispaniola, which today is modern-day Haiti and Dominican Republic. 
And in order to survive, they hunted the wild cattle and the wild hogs that were on that island. The cattle and the hogs were actually the descendants of the domesticated animals brought by Columbus and other explorers. They had gone wild and they were hunted for food. And the Taino, which was an indigenous group of people native to the Caribbean and the islands in that area, taught these men not only how to hunt, but also how to cure the meat. And this is where they got their name, because the location where they would cure the meat was called the Bocan. And in French, these men then were called Bocaneers, or in English, Buccaneer. Now, the trouble began in the mid to late 1600s because the Spanish viewed the buccaneers as trespassers. And they did not appreciate the buccaneers tromping all over and hunting on their home turf, which they considered Hispaniola. And they started to take aggressive action against the buccaneers. So the buccaneers retreated to an island called Tortuga, which is near Hispaniola, and the Spanish attacked them, and many of them were killed. And the buccaneers decided, nope, we're not having this. This is BS. So they built a fort on Tortuga, and then they got ships, and they started bringing the fight to the Spanish. They started attacking Spanish shipping and hunting down the very people that were trying to kill them. And eventually, buccaneers spread. They spread to Jamaica, Port Royal, which was English territory. And Jamaican governors started to use the buccaneers to defend their territory from the Spanish. And essentially, the buccaneers became privateers. So buccaneers were pirates and privateers. (laughs) And we'll get into this later, but uh, Port Royal at this time was considered and was known as the Sodom of the West Indies, the wickedest city in the world. And it was because there were so many buccaneers and privateers and pirates in large number, as well as alcohol and prostitutes and gambling and all the sins of the flesh, basically. So buccaneers were considered privateers towards the English. The Spanish considered them pirates. And many of the buccaneers were, in fact, pirates attacking whoever they wanted, but they specifically targeted, for the most part, the Spanish, and they were operating mostly in the mid to late 1600s, and by the time the 1600s came to an end, so did the Buccaneers. And then we get more into the golden age of piracy, where it's just a more generalized term, and the Pirates were criminals to all nations as opposed to the buccaneers who were really only targeted by the Spanish. So that is the difference between privateers, buccaneers, and pirates. Not huge differences between some of them, but that's just really interesting. Everything I did for this episode I felt like when I was researching is just interesting. And I hope that comes through in this podcast because, man, I just had so much fun with this one. I've been talking about it for weeks and been really excited to get to it and and release it for you. So, let's get into the meat of this episode. So, one of the biggest questions that we need to answer to really understand piracy is, who were these pirates, of course, and why would they turn to piracy? It's not often that large amounts of numbers, not large amounts of people, 
turn to a criminal activity knowing that there's a good chance if they get caught they'll be executed. So why would they do it? Well, first off, in terms of the who, most pirates were English or Irish. But there were also some Scots, French, Africans. There was a lot of escaped slaves that turned to piracy as a way to bolster their standard of living, but also to avoid going back to slavery. And then in even smaller amounts of percentages, there were Dutch, Danish, Swedish, Native Americans in in smaller numbers. But for the most part, English, Irish, and some of those other European countries, um, Western European countries, I think is the word I'm looking for. (laughs) I started that one and was like, where am I going with this? Anyway, in terms of the why, there were a lot of reasons to turn to piracy. One of the reasons is pirate ships were run democratically, which was very different from any other type of ship that a sailor might be employed on, whether it be the Royal Navy or a merchant ship. They were democratically run, which means that captains could be elected and deposed by vote. And the plunder was shared equally by whatever rules they had set up pre-plunder, so to speak. And there was some, this this blew my mind when I read this. Because keep in mind, for the most part, what we're talking about is 1700s. Not exactly what we would call the most socially advanced culture in, in terms of what we expect nowadays. But there were pirates in, mostly it was pirates in the Bahama region. They actually provided disability benefits for their crew. (laughs) There was a rudimentary workman's comp that was laid out. It was, it was kind of horrific to read. (laughs) Because, I don't know, this was just something that was expected. So they had workman comp written into their pirate code for the ship. This is an example of one that was found in, uh, an archaeological dive or something like that. The pirate code laid out that for this particular ship, you would get 600 pieces of eight or six slaves if you lost your right arm. And if you lost your left arm, you would get 300 pieces of eight or five slaves. Left arm was apparently less important, which makes sense because at this time left-handedness was considered like a disability or a mental illness and it was you were you were taught to use your right hand regardless. And if you lost an eye, you would get 100 pieces of eight. It's just I can't believe it. There's 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 disability benefits on a pirate ship. Like who would have thought that would be something that a pirate would lay out pre-sailing? Oh, and just uh, a little clarification. I've seen this in movies, and I just talked about it, seen it in video games. I've always wondered what a piece of eight is. Uh, The piece of eight is a Spanish silver dollar at this time, and at this time in history, money was worth what it weighed in silver. And this silver dollar was actually able to be cut into eight pieces, and that was how you would basically make change. And that's why you call it a a piece of eight. The full silver dollar was made up of eight pieces of eight. 
So you would get 600, 300, or 100, depending on what horrible injury occurred during your, your sailing with this pirate ship. And in terms of why else someone would turn to piracy, dissatisfaction among merchant ships and Royal Navy was rampant. And it got to the point where sailors would jump ship and join a pirate crew. So a pirate ship would capture either a merchant ship or a Royal Navy ship. And a lot of the sailors on that ship would be like, hey, well, hey, don't hurt me. I will work for you. I want to be on your crew. Sign me up. Get me on that ship. And the reason why was because a sailor's life was kind of garbage. In England especially, sailors were considered low class. They were like just above minorities. I don't mean to say that I think minorities are lower class, but at the time, obviously, minorities were unfortunately low class. Sailors were just above slaves and servants. Like it was it was not a good time to be a sailor. And the job that they did just was inherently dangerous. For one thing, the cargo that they were slinging around, they didn't have cranes, they didn't have powered winches or anything like that. So hernias, very common. Hauling cargo, they'd pop a hernia. I'm sure they were in incredible amounts of pain, and it's not like they had good doctors in medicine at this time. There were commonly crushed limbs or sliced off fingers from unsecured cargo. It was just a common thing, you know, just normal thing. Yeah, you can slice off a couple of fingers, no big deal. And interestingly enough, merchant ships and Royal Navy did not have workman's comp. So if you sliced off your fingers and you couldn't work, well, it sucks to be you. The other things are, you know, falling to your death when you go up the main, the mast, and lose your grip, boom, dead. Swept off the rails and off the boat by waves in a storm. And then sickness. Sickness was very common on sailing ships in the Navy and on merchant ships. And one of the reasons was because the food was appalling. Often putrid. Many times had maggots or other disgusting things in it. Rat turds, mice turds. And that's all there was to eat. And even worse than that, obviously sailing on the ocean, you can't drink the salt water. So any drinking water had to be taken with. Water can go bad, believe it or not. And it pretty much did every time the Royal Navy went out. And so because they couldn't drink water, the Royal Navy rationed each sailor on a ship a half a pint of rum and a gallon of beer every single day. So not only were they working in dangerous conditions, but most of them were pretty blitzed when they were working those conditions because they didn't have water to drink. So the Royal Navy was like, here's a bunch of alcohol. Go sail the ship. Just, it's disgusting. And to make it even worse, like I can't imagine how it can get worse. Captains would understock ships to increase their profit. If they had to pay less to stock the ship, their profits would go up. But that also means that if anything was to go wrong, most of those sailors are going to suffer from malnourishment and possibly starvation to the point of death because the captain wanted to make a little bit more money. It's just not a good profession to be in. And even if the food was good food in terms of it hadn't spoiled, it wasn't like it was a delicacy 
every night on your plate. You're eating nasty salted pork and biscuits. Very little fruits and vegetables, which means scurvy was a thing. Scurvy is disgusting. You're just bleeding from your gums. Your teeth are falling out. And eventually worse things happen. Is not a profession anybody would want to be in. And if you think that was bad, the captains in the Navy and in the merchant crews, because they were not democratically elected by their crews, they were basically dictators in charge of the ship, and they were brutal sometimes. Minor offenses, minor offenses, offenses? Man, what is wrong with my saying that word? Minor offenses would often be met with whipping, flogging, clubbing, and many of the times it would not be just a few lashes. I mean, people were beat to death. There was a story of a captain in one of the books I read who just took a dislike to one of his cabin boys and just tortured this kid for like the entire trip, the entire voyage. That's the word I've been looking for this whole time, voyage. And eventually just beat this kid to death after doing horrific things to him, including like making him eat his own feces. That's what sailors had to deal with. That's not made up. That is a real story that happened on a real merchant ship from England. And to top it all off, the cherry on top of this crap sandwich, captains were always looking for ways to not pay their sailors. Sailors were rarely paid. They would often get docked pay for damage to cargo, even if they couldn't help it. If a cargo was damaged in a storm, sailors lost pay. It's not fair at all. And the Navy even had an unofficial motto, keep the pay, keep the man. They would withhold pay unless the sailors joined up for the next voyage. If they didn't join up for the next voyage, they would forfeit their pay. So you were basically perpetually in the Navy or you were broke as a beggar. (laughs) And so many, many sailors saw this and were like, forget this. Piracy is the way to go. You make money. You live free. You get tropical fruit and good food, women, booze. And you're not treated like a dog. Hard to blame them, honestly, in some cases. Half of the sailors that were pressed into service in the Royal Navy of England died at sea. Half. Oh, man. That is a horrendous mortality rate. So, piracy is bad. But I find it hard to blame some of these guys for jumping ship and joining up with the pirate crew. I mentioned it in passing as well, but I wanted to point out more in depth that another reason why someone would turn to piracy is to escape slavery. You have to keep in mind at this point, in especially the Caribbean, the Bahamas, Jamaica, all those areas, they were... Uh, there were a lot of sugar plantations and those sugar plantations were run basically by slaves. Many of those slaves took the opportunity to escape and in order to fully escape, not to be recaptured and put back into slavery, they would join up with a pirate ship. There were some 
pirate ships that up to a quarter of the crew were escaped slaves. And because pirates viewed their crew more democratically, skin color didn't matter as much. If you were part of the crew, you were part of the crew. A runaway slave could find a place of acceptance on a pirate ship and also a place of freedom in money. They were basically treated like a human being. So, yeah, I mean, piracy is bad. These pirates were criminals and they were doing a lot of bad things. But there were there were things that they did uh, that were that were more socially advanced than the upper class in that uh, time period. So that's another reason why someone might turn to piracy is to escape slavery. Now, piracy through TV shows and movies, even video games, has taken on myths and legends, this romanticized version of piracy, and... It was really fun to kind of dig into some of those things and, and find out the historical accuracies of the legends of piracy. I mean, pirates, it's just such a big part of your imagination. Uh, every kid, I feel like, at some point, trick-or-treating, dressed up as a pirate or at a play or something like that. and it's It's highly entertaining. And I wanted to kind of dig into some of those things and see whether it's true, false, somewhat in between, and just kind of have some fun with it. So, pirate myths, starting out with buried treasure. Now, buried treasure is a huge part of pirate lore. A treasure chest filled with gold and silver buried in the sand somewhere on a beach and a map that leads you to, you know, the X marks the spot. Not really something that happened. <laughs> there were... Rare cases, like Captain Kidd may have buried some treasure, and that was exaggerated in the the press of the time and the media, and that kind of led to this myth of buried treasure. Not as easy to do. Most of the time when these pirates were plundering a ship, it wasn't gold and silver that they were taking, although if it was there, they would have definitely taken it. But... A lot of the loot was lumber, food, spices, animal hides, things that they could sell, you know, silk, cloth of some sort, tobacco. It was things that they could take, steal, and then sell through a third party, converting that into cash money. Those are not things that are going to be easily buried on a beach. And why would you bury it on a beach? If you don't sell it, it's worthless. So... Buried treasure, fun to act out for kids, maybe. Not really based necessarily in the true Pirates of the Caribbean. And that goes for walking the plank as well. I haven't got to it. I was going to kind of get to it in the end. The Golden Age of Piracy is a early 1700s era of piracy. There's not a single reference of any pirate being made to walk the plank. It is a complete literary embellishment made up in fictional stories. There's way easier ways to kill somebody. Okay, if someone really did something to totally piss off the pirate crew, they're not going to go through this ceremony of tying them up, walking the plank, jumping off. They're just going to throw them overboard. They're like, all right, see you, dude. Off they go. 
or easier yet, you just shoot them in the head or or chop off their head with a sword. I mean, they're not gonna they're not gonna walk the plank. It was totally made up. I don't know who was the first to make it up. I don't know how they made it up, but walking the plank was total fiction for movies and books and later on video games and things like that. There are a very few isolated incidents much later in the realm of piracy where a few people were made to walk the plank, but that was because those crews were copying the made-up versions of what they thought piracy was. So in terms of what most people think of as the era of piracy, walking the plank was not a thing. They just pitched someone overboard. I feel like I'm kind of bursting a bunch of bubbles here. I bursted my own bubble when I read that. I was like, wait, what? Are you serious? But that's that's it. That is the true story of punishment on the high seas of a pirate ship. In terms of some of the other accoutrements of pirates that you might see in fiction, some of those things were fairly historically accurate. Pirates, they didn't dress like we see in some fictionalized versions, very flamboyant with tons of gold jewelry and these very extravagant coats and things like that. Most of the crew dressed like any sailor uh, that you would see on any ship at the time which most of the time is pretty accurate in you know the fictionalized versions of pirates that I've seen the captain or some of the you know higher up in the crews the, the quartermaster and the the mates they might dress a little bit more extravagantly to show off their success as a pirate captain try to entice uh, men to join up on their crew with the promise of riches but you know generally speaking they weren't you know as flamboyant as you might see like Jack Sparrow or something like that uh, eye patches, however, were probably something that was used fairly commonly on a pirate ship. Injuries were common. Like I said, you could get 100 pieces of eight if you lost an eye. So if you lose an eye, you can probably put a patch over it. And so that uh, that that trope that you see a lot of times on, especially like Halloween costumes and things like that, not necessarily inaccurate. Now, there is this theory that has been making rounds on the internet recently. And the theory is that pirates used a patch to keep one eye accustomed to the dark and one eye accustomed to the light. And the theory says that when you would go from the deck down to below decks, you would switch the patch from one eye to the other so that the eye that was under the patch is accustomed to the dark and you can immediately see in the dark that was below the decks is not accurate for some reason that has been making the rounds on the internet and there are articles that have been written putting this out as fact and that's not true so don't believe everything you read on the internet most people know that by now i'm sure but it was not a night vision issue that caused pirates to wear patch but they probably did wear them as basically a cover-up of injuries same thing with peg legs now peg legs not very common it wasn't like every pirate ship had that one guy that they called stumpy who had a wooden peg leg pirate ships were hard enough to navigate with two working 
legs when you were healthy on a rolling deck on the on the ocean with with the waves and everything like that. But it was not out of the realm of possibility, and there are some instances where it's been proven that a pirate who had lost a leg in an injury had a fake leg, and at that point, fake legs were very rudimentary, basically a wooden peg. So it maybe is not as common as is portrayed in some of the fiction of pirates, but patches and peg legs were definitely things that did occur. Some of the other things that you might see in pirate fiction is things like a pirate code. And that is actually not fiction at all. Pirate codes were a real thing. Now, there was not one overarching code like you see in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies with Johnny Depp that was the code that all pirates referred to throughout the world. That's not the case. But there was a code that dictated behavior on a ship. It was usually agreed upon before voyage by the crew and the captain, and it could differ from ship to ship and crew to crew, captain to captain. But most pirate ships did have some sort of code, and that code would govern things like behavior and punishment. So, you know, laying out what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, and what would happen to you if you broke the rules. It would uh, govern things like distribution of the treasure among the crew. You know, how much does the captain get? How much does each crew member get? Who gets more? Who gets less? And it was very fair. It was very equitable. And it was also, as we discussed earlier, most of these pirate codes had some sort of compensation in, in, in case of injury. So they really did have a well-thought-out procedure on a pirate ship. It wasn't just join up and go plunder and then the captain takes all the money. No, it was it was a lucrative business to be in for most of the crew as well as the captain, and it was based on this code. And then, of course, the most famous of pirate symbols, the Jolly Roger. Again, completely true. 100% true. The Jolly Roger was definitely flown by pirate ships. It had a bit of an evolution. Early in the 17th century, generally pirates would use two flags. It was either plain black or plain red. Now, a lot of times, pirates would lure unsuspecting ships by flying a national flag, like a French flag or an English flag, trying to lure them in thinking they were comrades, and then they would quick raise a pirate flag and, and attack. But if they weren't flying a national flag, they would fly either a plain black flag or a plain red flag. Red was the dangerous one. <laughs> if you saw a red flag on a pirate ship, you were in trouble, because red indicated that no quarter would be given. There would be no mercy. They were going to take the ship, and they were going to kill anybody who got in their way. And originally... If any design was put on the flag, it was usually put on the red flag. And at some point, that inspired the French term Jolie Rouge, which is the French phrase, which means pretty red. And most people agree that Jolie Rouge then became Jolly Roger. So that's where the name Jolly Roger comes from. 
And then as early as 1700, that black flag with the Death's Head logo was used. Death Head's logo uh, being the skull and crossbones. Or skull and other symbol. And by the 1710s and 1720s, the Jolly Roger, it wasn't just here and there you would see someone flying a Jolly Roger and then in fiction it became every pirate was flying. It was very common. Most pirate ships were flying some variation of the Jolly Roger in the 1710s and 1720s. The Skull and Crossbones was the most famous. The very basic Jolly Roger that I think of when someone says, you know, pirate flag. But there are other variations. Most variations included some sort of skeletal something. So there was a pretty common variation of a skeleton holding a spear, and that spear was stabbing into a heart. And that was the flag that was probably used by Blackbeard. And in Blackbeard's case, the um, skeleton was also uh, holding a cup and toasting the devil. Piracy, like I said, it, there's some sketchy things going on there. I've, I've said that I admire certain things about piracy, but I certainly don't admire pirates, so to speak. And then the other most popular version is the skull, and instead of bones, having the two crossed swords. And that was made most popular by uh, Calico Jack Rackham, a famous pirate that we'll discuss later. So, yes, like, I was happy. Like, I, I was... I was disappointed when I learned that the walking the plank wasn't real. I'd have been really upset if I found out that the Jolly Roger was fake. Because <laughs> that just like changes my worldview on pirates. But it's not. It's real and it was common. It was definitely something that was not made up. And that made me happy. So that's that's the the pirate flag. Jolly Roger. Jolie Rouge. The skull and crossbones. Ah, it's so cool. I don't know why it's cool. I'm not advocating for piracy. It's just, I don't know, something that you see so often in this romanticized version of piracy and it turns out that they actually did that. I just, I like that. But anyway, I'm rambling here. The uh, last one here, uh, pets. There's often the trope of parrot as a pet. And again, not something that was maybe as common as portrayed, but most likely grounded in reality. Pirates spent a lot of their time in exotic ports, and they had a lot of disposable income. So they were going to use that disposable income to buy things, including pets. And parrots were an easy pet. You were able to easily feed them. They were small. They didn't take a lot of space. And they were colorful, exotic, a status symbol, so to speak. But it wasn't the only pet. You often see monkeys as a pet that was also something that definitely seems to be grounded in reality cats of course always good on a ship because they can catch mice and rats uh, one thing you don't see mentioned on ships for pirates you never see dogs in any record you don't see dogs as a pet maybe because they weren't exotic enough or maybe they were too big and ate too much but monkeys cats and parrots those seem to be the pets that show up most in the records of pirates so, when you really think about it, a lot of the things that we see in fiction or in the romantic vision of pirates that we have in our mind, pretty true. 
and that's that's kind of cool it's it's kind of fun for me when fiction and reality reality line up it just makes the reality that much more fun so those are some of the i call them pirate myths but they're not really myths they're true things true things that actually did happen during the golden age of piracy so i've talked about it a couple times but i want to delve into a little bit more thoroughly uh, the golden age of piracy i mentioned it and i want to explain it golden age of piracy is roughly only a 10 year span from 1715 to about 1725 as the dates that i chose based on the research i did it varies uh, if you search it sometimes it can be a little bit longer you know up to 1730 sometimes it starts around 1700 but basically 1715 to 1725 now it was not a huge amount of pirates during this time maybe a couple thousand crew members and maybe 20 to 30 pirate commodores at the time, a Commodore was a captain that had command over more than one ship. And the Golden Age was different, especially from the Buccaneer Age, uh, because Golden Age pirates, as we mentioned, they were criminals to all nations. And Golden Age pirates had moved beyond just simple crime and stealing robbery for the sake of riches. Golden Age piracy had moved beyond that to full-on social revolt and it sounds crazy to say it but pirates pirates and piracy from the golden age of piracy helped to form the thinking that eventually led to the american revolution and i know that sounds crazy it sounded crazy when i was doing the research but it actually makes sense for one thing piracy when you think about it is all about freedom to do what you want you answer to no man you're on the high seas and you don't have a captain or a government to answer to kind of sounds a little bit like the founding fathers freedom and don't tell me what to do very simplified version of course but there's more that i'll get to but just in general pirates and the colonies had a pretty symbiotic relationship Colonial merchants would often send ships to trade with the pirates and then spend their stolen wealth in the colonies. The pirates would, excuse me, the pirates would spend their wealth in the colonies. And colonies would turn a blind eye to piracy or pirates in their colony. They wouldn't prosecute them. They wouldn't execute them. They just kind of let them do their thing. As long as the pirates were not engaging in piracy in colonial waters... The American colonies didn't really do much to combat piracy during the golden age of piracy. And it was for very economical reasons. Pirates provided money and goods to the colonies. It boosted the economy of the American colonies. But also they were able to skirt the English trade laws by getting goods basically smuggled into the country by pirates. The trade laws between England and the colonies heavily favored England. And so if there was a way to get things without the fees and the tariffs and the, I don't even know the word, without the trade being heavily favored towards the mother country, the colonies took advantage of it and pirates provided that. The other thing that we're going to get to later 
pirates founded an actual republic. The Republic of Pirates on Nassau in the Bahamas was formed during the golden age of piracy. And this was a time when kings and queens had absolute authority. A free democratic island was unheard of. And eventually, those ideals were codified, coalesced, and the ideals that were first kind of set out by this pirate republic became the foundation of the American nation. It's crazy to think about. I'm not saying that pirates were responsible for the United States. But I am saying that this social revolt that they started during the golden age of piracy definitely helped to bring that thought of a free democratic nation into people's mind. During the golden age of piracy, you also saw social revolt in the fact that slaves, sailors who were considered low class, indentured servants, they revolted against their oppressors. They revolted either against their captain on the merchant ship, their government. If they were in the Royal Navy, they revolted against their owners if they were a slave. And they went out and made their own way. Social revolution. That's the golden age of piracy. Now, just piracy has been around since ancient times. There was there's records of piracy in ancient Greece, and even now in the 21st century, we still have piracy. There was the very famous incidents with the Somali pirates. Uh, boy, testing me here in the mid 2000s. Not sure exactly when that went down. I made a movie with Tom Hanks. You know, piracy is still something we deal with in the modern times here in 2021. And it's been going on as long as humanity has been around, and I would wager that it will continue as long as humanity exists. But when people think about piracy, I would wager that 99% of all people, when you mention pirates, the image that it conjures up in their head is this golden age of piracy from 1715 to 1725. And so that's what this entire episode was about. That golden age of piracy. And we're going to continue the golden age of piracy in the next episode. And that episode is going to deal not with piracy in general, but looking at individual pirates and their exploits. So we're going to talk about Charles Vane, Calico Jack Rackham, Steed Bonnet, Edward Teach. Some of the most famous pirates who ever sailed the ocean all sailed during the golden age of piracy. And they were the basis for many of the myths and legends that we have even until this day. So tune in next time to hear the real story of those pirates. The truth is much more interesting than the fiction. My name is Brett Bilesma. Once again, I am the host of this, the Curiosity Chronicles podcast. I hope you come back next time and check out part two of the golden age of piracy. But until then, I hope that you stay curious.